Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. morning. I am glad I do not have to even go through my introduction anymore because Don just told you what we're about uh, this morning as we continue in our series uh, through ownership. But uh, before we do that, um, let me just pray for us. God, you are faithful. You are so faithful, in fact, that, it, that you speak to us individually through your word. And that is a miracle, Lord, and we praise you for that, especially in a room this size where each individual comes in with different burdens and worries and joys and hurts and circumstances in their life. Somehow you take our feeble attempts at worship, you take my feeble attempts to communicate your word, and you use it in our lives. And so, God, we just praise you for your faithfulness, and we we trust that you will do that again this morning. And we are just in awe that you would do that, that you would care enough about us, uh, that even as we talk about what it means to own our faith, uh, that you first took possession of our hearts through your son, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. All right. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be back in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, um, starting in verse 38. And... You know, if you don't want to miss out on the fullness of what it means to be a Christian, this series is for you. You know, you could live a lukewarm life, but I don't think that that's what you want for your life, and I certainly know that that's not what God wants for your Christian life, and that's actually why we're here this morning talking about ownership, because ownership is just a fancy word that we have put on the premise of church membership, and to be a member or an owner of a church To be a full participant in it, live through it, is actually God's design for your walk of faith. And so through this series, we've talked about a few things, and I'm just going to rehash them again as Don said. We say at Movement Church that when you are an owner, not a renter of the church, you do things like spending time daily growing with Jesus. You have consistent attendance at Sunday gatherings, that you honor God by giving a portion of your finances, or in reality, his finances, that he has given to you, back to him. You're involved in a movement group. You are serving on a volunteer team with your gifts, and you're regularly sharing the gospel, not just here, but through supporting what we do globally as well. But before we go any further, it would be wise for us to ask the question, like, well, why these things? You know, are these just arbitrary things that Mark or the elders or the churches have come up with that make us an owner of our faith? And the answer of that, of course, is a resounding no. And for that, we're going to look 
at Acts chapter 2. So just to give you a little bit of a backstory about where we've been in the book of Acts, Pentecost has just happened. The Spirit of God has descended on people from all different tongues and tribes and nations, and this is representative of the fact that God is not just here for Israel, but God is here for all people, that he is inviting all nations, all peoples, all all different backgrounds into his family yet again. And in the midst of this, Peter, he's just so excited, he gets up and he starts preaching, and we're going to actually pick up right in the middle of Peter's sermon. And he gives us just a, a, a blueprint for what it means to enter into a relationship with God. Verse 38, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for what? For the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive, remember that, that word, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need, and they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So why ownership? Why do we talk about these things? It's because ownership is really just a fancy word of what was naturally flowing out of spirit-infused, Jesus-loved and saved, new believers here in the early church. And it's God's vision for how we are to live life in community now as well. So praise God, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, nor did we, do, uh, did we reinvent the wheel when we came up with these markers that were for our context today in light of this passage. And I want to just examine what happens. What is the order of events? Well, first, people repent. They recognize their need for God, that they are far from him in, his, in their sin, that they are broken, that they are in need of a savior and, savior, and they turn to God. And then they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they're baptized into the church, and then there is this natural outflow of behavior that comes from that. They prioritize growing through the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to it. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to celebrating the Lord's Supper. They gathered in large groups at the temple. They gathered in small groups in homes and praised God. They served each other with their gifts. They spread the gospel like wildfire. And that is what we're talking about today is that they became radically generous. Radically generous. And if we want to cultivate a radically generous 
life, we need to realize that radical generosity comes from ordinary means of grace. Radical generosity simply comes from ordinary means of grace. That's what we're going to be unpacking this morning. And I know that maybe it seems like we talk about money or finances a lot, but I actually think that it's important because did you know that 15% of the words that Jesus speaks out of his mouth in the gospel is about money, how it affects our heart, how it affects the world around us? And so it's important. And I want to see how this radical generosity this morning flows out of this church that has been infused with the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to verse 33, or 43. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And here we go. All the believers, they met together in one place. They shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. The new believers are so in awe of what God has done to generously invite them into his life that they share everything that they had. And this is actually a tame translation. Most translations say that they had everything in common. In other words, they all kind of just released what they had, they held it with open arms, and they said, whoever needs in our community can have. They used their homes, the things that they had already accrued in their life for ministry. They met there to pray. They met there to devote themselves to God's word, to teaching. They shared meals. They shared their food. They practiced hospitality, which is another form of generosity. And they sold even their own possessions just to take care of people that had needs in their community. And this generosity got so out of control that by chapter four in Acts, the text tells us There wasn't one person, not one, that had a need. There wasn't one person. And what would that look like today? Are we doing those things? Is your house just open for the Lord? Is your food open for others? Is your life in your pocketbook open for God to use it? This is radical. And you know, we just get so uncomfortable with these passages that you see commentators say like, well, this isn't communism. And it, of course it isn't because communism is forced and compelled by politics. This is flowing out of a gospel-changed heart, but at the same time, I think we got to wrestle with the tension when it says they had everything in common. It was like, whoa, this is a different type of generosity. And that's why I want us to know this morning that your possessions are for him to use through you, not yours to use for you. That your possessions are actually God's. That he has given you, yes, for your own needs, but also for the needs of others and to serve him. And that's how we cultivate radical generosity is first, by starting with that in mind. That your possessions are not simply for you, 
but they are for God to use through you. And then this is what's even more incredible because the, the Bible makes private property very clear. There is validity to having private property. And that makes this all the more beautiful because what then compels these people to be that generous? No one has told them that they have to behave this way, but they do it anyway. They do it because they are fueled by the love and the generosity of God. And so then a generous heart could be defined as the posture of contentment in all circumstances. And the act of sharing without expecting anything in return. The posture of heart to be content in all circumstances. And the act of sharing and giving with no expectations that it's going to come back your way. Because when God opens your heart, God opens your hands to his work through what you have. But then that begs the question, well, like, why, why are we generous? That's important. Because it's easy to romanticize the early church. Of course, we're not called to be the early church. We're called to be the church here today in Hilliard. But it's easy to romanticize the early church and think that they have access to a power that we do not have access to today. It's easy to think that these people were extraordinary in an extraordinary time, but they were just like us. And this is why you do not have the strength or power to create an environment like this that would reflect that generosity on your own strength. And it's why we started in verse 38, because it's the precursor to all of this. Let me read that again. Peter says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Radical generosity comes from ordinary means of grace. God's grace comes to you through giving. God, at his core, is a giver. And when God creates humanity, he creates out of generosity. God does not need the world. God does not need you and me. For all of eternity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there existed a relationship. And in that relationship, God had all that he needed. But he chose to give life out of love and pleasure and joy to us. To enjoy him, to love him, and to live like him. And that's why he doesn't just give us life, but it says that he gives us his image, that we are literally supposed to be like God. And then when he sends us into the world, he commands us to cultivate the world, to steward it, to take care of it, to create in it, to bring order to it, just like him. Everything is under our rule to bring out our enjoyment in God and his glory. But then when sin enters the world, we choose to make a name for ourselves with the stuff that he has given us instead of resting in the identity that he has given us. We become takers. We establish value by taking. If I have enough money, if I have enough status, if I have enough things, then I will know that I'm valuable. If I have enough money in my retirement, then I will know that I'm worthy of love and respect. But God establishes and has always and will always establish value through giving. 
God not only gives you life, but then when we walk away from him, he gives us his most precious son, Jesus, which may be the pinnacle of God's generosity because none of us deserve his grace and yet he radically gives us not 10% of Jesus's life, but all of it. And then he gives us, as we saw in verse 38, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That he says, not only do I love you, not only have I saved you, but now I'm going to put my very spirit in you. And that's what happens at Pentecost. And now we see why these hearts are so radically transformed to be generous because God is a giver. That's who he is. God puts his spirit in his people and what do they do? They start acting like God is. They start acting like God as they give and they give and they give and the result, the text says, is deep awe and joy. And so we flourish as human beings when we image God, when we actually reflect how he has created us to best function. We experience joy, we experience awe, we experience the fullness of life. So when we say that to be an owner of Movement Church is to give, we don't say that because we need your money. We don't. And God certainly doesn't need your money. He owns it all. It's for you to reflect the God who created you and the way that he created you to live. And you know what I love about the grace of God? The grace of God comes to us in generosity. And generosity is grace extended to people. But the flip side of that is when we experience a lack of generosity, worry, anxiety, fear, they start to creep into our lives more and more and more. And I've used this illustration before, but it's so poignant. My little daughter, Rayma, who's two and a half, when we give her gifts, it's really funny because I can think specifically that the last time uh, she got a gift from uh, Mallory and I, and as her father who purchased that gift, who worked for that gift, to give her that gift, to just see her enjoy that gift, when I gave her the gift, it was interesting to me to see my own disposition and heart in the heart of my child. And any parent knows that. It's humbling, right? And she took this gift that I had given her, and I'm like, Rayma, can I, can I play with that gift with you? No. Can I look at that gift? No. Can I touch that gift? No. And then not only does she say no, but she takes that gift and she runs in fear to her room with that new gift. She won't play with it with her sister. She won't play with it with me. All she's concerned about is holding as tightly onto this gift. Why? Yes, of course she loves it. But she is fearful that the giver of that gift is going to take that gift back away from her. And all I want to do is enjoy that gift with her. And this, in many ways, is how we relate to God with the things that he has given us. We go, God, I know you've given me this, but now I really got to protect it. I can't use it for your glory. I can't give it away because I don't trust that you will provide as you have provided before. 
But there is an immediate blessing in your life, guaranteed, when you start to give. Give financially, give of your possessions, give of your time, your resources. And see, the prosperity gospel preachers who are wrong are actually half right. There is a guarantee that you will be blessed if you give. The only difference is that as you invest in the kingdom monetarily, you are not guaranteed to be blessed monetarily in return, but you will be blessed in your life spiritually. And I can guarantee that because when we look at how God comes to us, he does not come to us filthy rich, but he chooses to come to us poor. And then he says, I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. Jesus lived the most full life and his life was not full of possessions. So what does that mean, class? When you have a lot of possessions, it doesn't mean that you have a full life. And if you don't have a lot of possessions, it doesn't mean that you can't have a full life. This will motivate generosity. But I want to land here. Because we can just talk philosophically about a generous heart, but if we don't talk about how to actually cultivate that, then we won't grow in generosity. And what have we said this morning? Radical generosity comes by ordinary means of grace. Now, what does that mean? What are means? Means are not ends. In other words, ordinary means of grace, you could call them the pipelines for how God's grace continues to come into your life. This isn't something that just happens. You actually gotta work at it. You gotta work it into your heart. You gotta massage it into your life. It's really nice to say this is an inward out transformation that needs to happen in your heart with generosity, but then you go, well, how do we actually do that? Well, look at verse 42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to simple practices. And those simple practices developed generosity amongst them. It seems foolish to devote yourself to sitting in a room in silence for even an hour and just praying to God. It seems foolish to sit in your room and prioritize day after day God's word, the apostles' teaching, the Bible, but it will produce fruit. It seems foolish to come in here and hang out with people that you barely even know and commit yourself to people in movement groups and in a church that are nothing like you. And yet when you do, it produces radical changes in your life. And sometimes I think that when I talk to people in our church, and this includes me, and we go through these spiritual dry spells in our life and we're not seeing God move in, in, in ways that we would expect him to move, we just got to get back to the basic, ordinary means of grace in our life. Means of grace are like a pipe, like I said. And when we do not practice pr- 
prayer, when we do not practice fellowship, real community, depth of relationship, when we aren't rooted in God's word, it's like a clogged pipe. It's not that God's grace doesn't exist. It's just not freely flowing into our life because we're not allowing it to flow through the things that he has designed us to receive his grace through. So we need to devote ourselves to those things. And I want to do a little experiment this morning because I was thinking about it. If we devote ourselves to God's word, if we were to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, this is the result. We would read passages like this in 1 Timothy 6. Read this with me. You don't have to read it out loud, but just read it on the screen. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows." But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. I love how Paul, he's talking to Timothy, and he says, I want you to think about your life. You brought nothing into the world and you're going to take nothing from it. And as I was thinking about this week, an illustration that I could use, I thought of one from one of my favorite pastors. His name is Francis Chan. And he takes out a rope, and he says, this is eternity. It just goes on forever. As I drop the rope, here's eternity, guys. It just goes through that wall, and it goes forever. Here's your life. Here is your life. Here is eternity. You didn't bring anything into the world. And you ain't going to take anything out of the world, Paul says to Timothy. What does that mean? Well, in the words of Jesus, to to paraphrase him, stop worrying so much about money. Stop being so anxious about this. If Jesus brings us eternal life, then why do we spend all of this worrying about the last 20% of this? Why do we spend so much time of this worrying about things that we can't even take into eternity with us? This is temporal. But Jesus comes into our lives to give us eternal life so that we can flourish with him. And he says that when we put our faith in him, he gives us an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. But instead, in our faithlessness, we look at this and we go, God, I don't trust you. I don't think that you're going to give me enough. But when we live in light of this, we can hold everything that we have 
with an open hand, going, God, just use it. It's not mine to keep. Calm down. Stop worrying so much. Consider the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. They neither sow nor reap, and yet your Father clothes them, and he knows what you need. And aren't you so much more valuable to God than these? This versus that. It's foolish to worry. It's foolish to be anxious in light of all that God has given us in Christ. And you know how we get this perspective into our life? We spend time talking to God. Ordinary means of grace. We spend time in community reminding each other that this is what we live for. Ordinary means of grace. And we spend time devoting ourselves to passages that will tell us this. Ordinary means of grace. It's not rocket science. God has created you to be generous. He made you that way. It brings him great pleasure when you live that way. Let's live for this. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your spirit that you have given us the gift of not just your son, but then you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit that you've gifted us with our homes, you've gifted us with our spouses, you've gifted us with our children, you've given us everything that we have, Lord. Help us to live in reality of eternity, that we brought nothing into the world and that we'll take nothing with us and in light of that, we can live for you with open arms and open hands, Lord. And I pray that we would do as you did for us, that we would become givers as you are givers to us. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, we're gonna have a time of testimony real quick, but before uh, Kathy comes up here, I just want you to know that uh, the church has purchased uh, a book that we think is probably the most helpful book when it comes to having an eternal mindset on giving. It's called The Treasure, Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. If you or your family wants a copy, we have plenty of copies back at the Next Steps table after church. Pick one up as you walk out. It's a tiny little book, but it will bless your life. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.